I can have confidence, you can have confidence. At the end of the day, it's whether voters have confidence. Thank you. Thank you very much. Mark that, Desi. We're going to use that again. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Like every day. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW. Out in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. In Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, in Janesville, Wisconsin on WADR. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day. On the internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, <clears throat> NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, blanketing planet Earth five days a week on those fine affiliates and others. Yes, even KPFT, Pacifica Radio in Houston. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, <clears throat> and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com, just trying to hold on today. Just before airtime today, the North Carolina State Board of Elections which is run by Democrats with a three to two majority held a vote on whether to allow 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen computer ballot marking devices made by the nation's largest and arguably worst private voting system vendor company by the name of ESNS in next year's presidential elections. That vote, we've been talking about it for the past couple of weeks. It came after a bunch of twists and turns and the resignation of the previous Democratic chair after he told a dirty joke about a cow and a woman in front of about 600 state elections officials, mostly women, by the way, just a few weeks ago. So after his resignation, Democratic Governor Roy Cooper appointed a new Democratic chair to the State Board of Elections before the final vote on this motion to block these unverifiable touchscreen voting machines in North Carolina. And, well, maybe you can tell from the tone of my voice, but I will give you the full skinny on what happened at that hearing in North Carolina just moments ago when I am joined by my guest today momentarily. But uh, as that just happened and a whole bunch of other news uh, is breaking today as we go to air, please, please forgive me if I'm a bit breathless, even more so than uh, more so than usual in our coverage today. Des, I have to toss out a whole bunch of the, uh, frankly, well-constructed, thoughtful stories <laughs> that I had uh, 
I had hoped to cover today uh, as I've had to change course uh, about three or four times today. Kind of a roller coaster today. Isn't so, it? yeah, oh, kind of. So I am now just making it up as I go along here before I'll be uh, joined by my guest shortly to talk about North Carolina and much more. But a uh, whole bunch of stuff breaking First, uh, this bit of uh, breaking and disturbing news. Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg has completed radiation therapy for a cancerous tumor on her pancreas. And the good news, I guess, is there is no evidence of the disease remaining, according to the Supreme Court on Friday. The court said in a statement that a biopsy performed July 31 confirmed a localized malignant tumor. Ginsburg, who is 86 years old, underwent a three-week course of radiation therapy and, as part of her treatment, had a bile duct stent placed, according to the statement from the court. The, uh, the court said that Ginsburg, quote, tolerated treatment well, unquote, and does not need any additional treatment, but will continue to have periodic blood tests and scans. So... Some certainly disturbing news, but maybe encouraging news. The the uh, tumor was, quote, treated definitively. And there is no evidence of disease elsewhere in the body, according to the court. The court said that uh, Ginsburg canceled her annual summer uh, visit to Santa Fe, but that otherwise she has maintained an active schedule during treatment. She went uh, underwent lung cancer surgery in December of last year. She has had two previous bouts with cancer. She had colorectal cancer in 1999 and pancreatic cancer in 2009. And pancre- pancreatic cancer is uh, has an unbelievably large fatality rate. So uh, the fact that she has lasted so long since 2009 is already extraordinarily against the odds for yes. uh, pancreatic cancer. And now uh, a new tumor found on her pancreas uh, while recovering from surgery. She uh, missed uh, argu- uh, back in December. She missed arguments at the court in January for the first time for her first illness related absence in more than 25 years as a justice. So we wish her the best. think that's an understatement at this point. Although if for some reason she was unable to serve next year, aren't we just about at that point where Mitch McConnell said there would be no vote on a uh, new Supreme Court justice until the American people until their voices could be heard. Oh, well, that's that's the 2016 Mitch McConnell. That's he's gone. It's 2019 McConnell says, no, of course, we would absolutely approve any justice that comes through. He said that just a few weeks ago. In other life or death political news with potentially far reaching ramifications, David Koch, the billionaire conservative activist, as he's described, uh, is dead at age 79, according to his brother on Friday. Charles Koch said in a statement, it is with a heavy heart that I announced the passing of my brother. Anyone who worked with David surely experienced his giant personality and passion for life. David Koch had stepped down from the brother's business and political network in June of 2018 because of uh, deteriorating health at the time last year, according to NBC News. The Koch Brothers organization has spent more than $1 billion on recent elections to bolster Republican candidates and causes. $1 billion 
that you and I do not get to spend because, well, we don't have that much free speech in our pocket, apparently. Last week in the Washington Post, the surviving brother Charles wrote an op-ed in which he was both sidesing it, saying that both sides are responsible for our woeful, seemingly broken political system, despite the incredible amount of money that the Koch brothers have raised and spent over the years almost exclusively on Republican candidates and causes to affect our theoretically democratic elections. Ken Vogel at The New York Times, who's been covering the uh, Koch brothers for years, uh, tweeted about that op-ed last week, noting Charles Koch. In Washington Post op-ed today, quote, partisan efforts on both sides have made it harder to come together as a country. While uh, then he goes on to uh, cite Charles Koch's FEC filings showing $15 million in donations to GOP candidates, committees and PACs that support them just since 2011. And I should note, those are donations. Those are personal donations. That's not the Koch brothers uh, network, network, which, yeah, yeah, which spends, well, uh, about a billion dollars. Yeah. So uh, but other than that, yeah, it's both sides. So, listen, I am sorry for the loss of his brother, but those boys have done a lot of damage to this country over the past decade or so. And any obit for David Koch, the late David Koch now, that doesn't point that out, is frankly failing this country, right along with the op-ed editors at the Washington Post who would allow Charles Koch to even publish something as absurd as that commentary last week on their pages, pretending that he and David had nothing to do with what, uh, quote unquote, both sides are doing to break this country at this point. And speaking of breaking this country, the Dow Jones plummeted some 620 points just before we go to air here today after China announced, well, after a bunch of things. First, China announced that they intend to respond to Donald Trump's trade tariffs, his trade war, his tariffs on imported goods from China with new tariffs on U.S. goods in return. But that's not all that caused the market to plummet. Trump's unhinged, even for him, Unhinged Twitter tirades also spooked traders and, frankly, hopefully the rest of the country. Hopefully the rest of the country is beginning to get spooked by what this by the behavior of this president at this point. And I suppose hopefully even more so since uh, Democrats are taking their sweet time in impeaching this president. Hopefully Trump's own cabinet and vice president are beginning to get spooked because it sure feels like we are getting close to a 25th Amendment moment to remove this president from office. As The Washington Post is reporting this afternoon, President Donald Trump demanded U.S. companies stop doing business altogether with China. And he said he would raise tariffs on Beijing, capping one of the most extraordinary days in the long-running U.S.-China trade war, as the Post describes it. The president's Twitter tirades came in response to Beijing's announcement that they would uh, levy new tariffs on $75 billion in goods, including reinstated levies on auto products starting this fall. So... 
Donald Trump is apparently furious that China is doing to us what he has been doing to them and threatening to do to them even more so. By the end of the trading day, the Dow Jones Industrial Average had fallen more than 600 points, and the business community was warning of negative effects on investor confidence in uh, investor confidence and on American jobs. But I'm sure that won't stop them from giving money to Republicans, will it now? Charles Koch. Trump later tweeted that he, in turn, was raising the tariff rate on Chinese goods. Uh, But the day began with Beijing's tariff retaliation, which was delivered, as the Post says, with strategic timing just hours before an important address by Donald Trump's Fed chair, Jerome Powell. Again, Powell was appointed by Donald Trump. And as Trump was preparing to depart for the Group of Seven summit in Biarritz, uh, France, Trump initially directed his ire at Powell, his own chair of the U.S. Fed, saying, quote, as usual, the Fed did nothing. It is incredible that they can, quote, speak without knowing or asking what I am doing, which will be announced shortly. We have a very strong dollar and a very weak Fed. I will work brilliantly with both and the U.S. will do great. My only question is, who is our bigger enemy, Jay Powell or Chairman Xi? So 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 he just said, who is our bigger enemy, the Fed chair that I appointed or a foreign adversary of China? Right. That's what he said on Twitter, and that was only part of it. It went on and on and on, and I don't have time to read it, even if I wanted to. Uh, I'll just skip to this part. Uh, Moments later, he said he would be responding to China's tariffs uh, and and, and demanded, ordered, literally ordered American companies to cut ties with China. In one of the tweets, he said, our great American companies are hereby ordered to immediately start looking for an alternative to China, including bringing your companies home and making your products here in the U.S. Now, the White House has no authority to order American businesses to do anything. The president of the United States does not have those sorts of powers. Now, the uh, chairman of the Communist Party of China might have that sort of a power, that sort of power uh, or authoritarians have that sort of power to hereby order people and companies to do things. But the president of the United States does not have that authority to force companies to follow any directive of his. So this demand came under sharp and immediate criticism from usual supporters of his in the U.S. business community. They warned that halting sales with such a large trading partner would devastate American companies and the broader economy. Myron Brilliant, the uh, executive vice president of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, the largest right wing lobbying group in the U.S., said Trump, quote, Trump may be frustrated with China, but the answer isn't for U.S. companies to ignore a market with one point four billion consumers. And then late on Friday, Trump tweeted that he was going to be raising the tariff rates on some $250 billion in Chinese goods from 25% to 30%. And then he also tweeted that he would increase the tariff rate on an additional $300 billion of Chinese goods that are not yet under tariff. This all in response 
to the fact that China said they were going to levy tariffs on $75 billion uh, worth of goods coming from the U.S. going into China. Now, uh, th- those uh, that additional $300 billion that uh, he threatened, that he tweeted he was going to increase, those are the tariffs that he had previously threatened to begin in September, but he backed off of about a week or so ago after the markets took a similar 600-point plummet. I don't know if that was last Friday or the Friday before, but... Jesus, uh, all of this, making America great again. Business lobbyists are scrambling uh, throughout the day, trying to get answers about the White House's plans for their retaliation. <laughs> I'm sorry. White House plans? There are <laughs> I know. none. I know. Many in, uh, administration advisors were either in transit or on their way out of the country to the G7 meeting in France. Uh, so they didn't know about it, or if if they did... They can't be reached at this time. Uh, Brian Rydell, a budget expert at the Manhattan Institute, which is a right wing conservative think tank, said, I have no idea how the president thinks he can order companies to stop working with China. I am baffled. Senior Republicans on Capitol Hill were also in the dark as of Friday afternoon about the administration's plans, according to GOP aides. Trump's latest attacks could put him under intense pressure over the weekend at the G7 summit. That should be fun. Uh, He has called a special session to discuss the global economy. He has repeatedly uh, lauded the U.S.'s economic prowess while saying economies elsewhere in the world are in trouble. But we are doing fine here. The U.S. economy's performance is Uh, However, much more intertwined with global pressures than Trump has acknowledged. And this entanglement is forcing White House officials to decide whether they need to recalibrate Trump's approach before the 2020 election or stick with the president's impulses, reports The Washington Post. Like those officials have a choice? Do you really think they are able to recalibrate anything this guy says or does or tweets? The rest of uh, Donald Trump's tweets were even crazier today, uh, which, uh, frankly, I think is good time here to take a break, to let me cool down a little bit. Well, good luck with that. And uh, then come back to let you know what happened today in North Carolina, the swing state of North Carolina, which will be a key to next year's uh, election once again. If the people, if we the people are to have any response to this ongoing and worsening madness. However, in North Carolina, like so many jurisdictions across the country right now, what is not being reported by the mainstream corporate media is that they are planning to make it even easier for bad actors to hack our election system and next to impossible for American voters to know if their votes were counted as cast. So, Brad, breathe. We'll take a quick break, and uh, we'll come back with award-winning documentary filmmaker uh, Lulu Freistat. Uh, She'll join us to explain the mess that happened both at DEF CON in Las Vegas just over a week ago when hackers at that uh, hacking convention were unleashed on the new voting systems now being deployed to a jurisdiction near you and to discuss today's mess in North Carolina and 
maybe even a thing or two that you and I can do about all of this even before we get to the point where we're voting, since clearly our elected officials and our election officials don't seem prepared to do the right thing right now uh, for any number of terrible reasons, and our uh, mainstream corporate media does not see fit to let the American people know exactly what is going on to undermine our democracy in this country at this moment in American history. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us out today. Uh-huh. You can count on me like one, two, three, I'll be there. And I know when I need You're it. You're just uh, playing that song to try to calm me down, aren't you, Desi? Just a little bit. Yeah. It's not going to work. Well, I'm you're afraid. still here. We can count on you. Thank you very much. Uh, and I will count on the voters to save all of us. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. As I mentioned uh, just before airtime, along with all of the other breaking news I covered in the uh, past segment, this remarkable turn of events down in North Carolina. I will get to that in a moment because with everyone else focusing on the presidential horse race, here at the Bradcast, as we do, we've tried to stay focused mostly on the track conditions for that horse race. As anyone who follows horse racing knows, I've said it many times, you can have the best horse in the world, but if he's running on a muddy track, well, all bets are off. There is really no way to know who is likely to win, and boy, oh boy, do we have a very muddy uh, track, muddy track conditions right now in American elections. In just the past, what, uh, two weeks or so, we have been covering a lot of stories about the crush of efforts and uh, concerns regarding our nation's voting systems, as we are now just over five months away from the very first votes being cast in the 2020 presidential election primaries. Over just those past two weeks or so on this program, we have covered revelations by cybersecurity researchers that voting systems in 10 different states, including major battleground states like Michigan, Wisconsin and Florida, have been discovered to be just sitting there online on the Internet in at least 10 different states for as much as a year and perhaps many years longer. Despite false claims from elections officials and private voting system vendors that these systems cannot be hacked because they are never connected to the Internet. Turns out that is completely untrue. Some would even call it a lie. 
A federal judge in Georgia last week ordered the state to cease using its 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems used across the entire state for nearly the past two decades because after two years of examination by the court, the U.S. District Court judge ruled that those systems were, quote, unsecure, unreliable, grossly outdated, seriously flawed and vulnerable to failure, breach, contamination and attack. So much so that she found they violate the voters' right to have their votes counted as uh, cast and that they must be replaced, hopefully by hand-marked paper ballots in 2020. Those systems, she found, are unconstitutional. Citizens in Philadelphia, New York, and most recently Georgia are demanding and getting new security reviews of the new 100% unverifiable touchscreen computer ballot marking devices certified in those states for use after evidence has revealed that they too are vulnerable to hacking and fraudulent votes being added to the results and that they are 100% unverifiable after an election and cannot be meaningfully audited. On our previous broadcast, we detailed that 22 municipal city governments in Texas whose computer networks are currently out of service right now entirely because of a major coordinated ransomware attack by a seemingly foreign entity demanding $2.5 million to unlock the municipality's systems in order to allow those cities to begin using their computer networks again have knocked out all of the city services that go with it. That, even as states and counties move to become more, not less, reliant on computerized voting and tabulation systems and networked electronic polling books at the precincts on Election Day. And if those go down with a similar ransomware attack or anything else, voters will simply not be able to cast a vote on Election Day next year. Those are just some of the related stories that we have been covering while much of the rest of the broadcast media have been focusing on nothing but the horse race, despite the troubling and arguably quickly deteriorating track conditions on which those horses will be running in the absolutely critical for our nation 2020 presidential election. One might think, given the many concerns about foreign intrusions into our election systems during the 2016 elections and the continuing warnings from the FBI and the DHS and Special Counsel Robert Mueller and the, yes, bipartisan U.S. Senate Intelligence Committee about both foreign and domestic intrusions, that they expect to be even worse in 2020, one might think that the corporate media would be focusing on these issues as much or more than we are here at your friendly neighborhood broadcast, with their much larger resources, of course. But that, once again, as usual, does not seem to be the case, all of which underscores the fact, as I noted on our previous show, that this will, once again, be up to we the people to try and protect and oversee our own public elections in 2020. To that end, the public turned out in force today in North Carolina, where there was a motion by the State Board of Elections to block the use of 100% unverifiable touchscreen ballot marking devices, which tally barcodes that humans cannot read 
rather than use hand-marked paper ballots. The North Carolina State Board of Elections is now controlled by Democrats 3-2, to two, including a brand new chair just named by the Democratic governor who voted with the Republicans on the committee just before airtime to kill that measure that would have blocked those unverifiable systems. The vote was 3-2 to two against. That vote would have likely resulted in hand-marked paper ballots for all of North Carolina's voters, but now, sadly, that appears to not be the case. That, after virtually every comment from the public during the public comment period before the vote today, except for the one from the ESNS rep. ESNS is the nation's largest voting machine company. They're the ones looking to sell these expensive, unnecessary, unverifiable electronic pens to the state. All of them, all of them in the public, other than the ESNS guy, spoke clearly against these unverifiable BMD systems. I got to tell you, I was stunned that the motion was killed three to two, thanks to the new Democratic chair who voted with the Republicans. So I guess we can thank Democratic Governor Roy Cooper for appointing that guy over the uh, past week or so. But the fight for verifiable elections in the U.S. is not over, not by a long shot across this country. And my guest today has a few ideas and a new initiative for the public to join in on that effort. Lulu Freistadt is an Emmy Award-winning and Edward R. Murrow Award-winning journalist and documentary filmmaker. Her uh, first documentary, called Hollerback, Not Voting in an American Town, won a Best Documentary Award. Full disclosure, as always, I appear in that uh, documentary, but it's good anyway. She has produced election coverage for MSNBC and edited for the CBS Evening News and Good Morning America over the years. And she's become one of the nation's leading advocates for verifiable elections across the country and... She has an op-ed at The Hill this week headlined The Malware Election. Returning to paper ballots is the only way to prevent hacking. Lulu Freistadt, welcome back to the broadcast. Hey, Brad. Great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I uh, Before we get to your initiative, because I really do want to give something that, you know, that people can do about all of this, uh, I do need to ask you about a couple of things that I know you have been uh, covering and following closely. First, this vote in North Carolina I just described just happened uh, really minutes ago before we went on air. I know you've been following that battle in North Carolina. It's uh, twists and turns now for some time. I need to get your impression, uh, your response to the uh, State Board of Elections decision there to allow to allow new unverifiable barcoded ballots in this crucial battleground state of North Carolina next year. These are coups, Brad. We have to look at these as coups. A coup is where someone takes power without authority or keeps power without authority. And that is what is happening here in the United States. We have state after state after state. We had this in Pennsylvania, in Philadelphia. We've had it in New York. They had it in Kansas with the same ENS machines. And now you're seeing it in North Carolina where you have a vast majority of citizens coming to these Board of Election meetings and saying, we want landmark paper ballots. We want voting systems that we can trust. We don't want touchscreen barcode systems, and the election officials are putting in place those electronic touchscreen barcode systems that are the exact ones that people are protesting against. 
And then what you have there is a cycle with donations by vendors. In this case, in North Carolina, there's documentation that the vendor who programs almost all of the ES and S ballots mm-hmm. has given since 2000 close to $100,000 to both the Republican and the Democratic parties to candidates. Mm-hmm. And so if you just think about this, in a very straightforward way, a vendor gives money to candidates. Those candidates then choose that vendor, and then the machines from that vendor elect those candidates. That's a cycle in which the public has no control, no way in. That is basically a coup. That's not a transparent democracy where the people who are elected are actually accountable to the people who are voting. And so we have to find a way in to that mechanism, Mm -hmm. a a way to break that cycle. And so that's why I wrote that op-ed in The Hill. That's why um, I launched a nonpartisan project, Smart Elections, several months ago with Mm -hmm. uh, colleagues that I've worked with for years. The uh, mission statement of Smart Elections is elevating election reform to an urgent national priority, which is what it needs to be. People need to understand that every single other issue that they care about, no matter where you are on the political spectrum, no matter whether it's climate change Mm -hmm. or taxes, uh, small government, whatever issue you care about, that issue is affected by the levers of democracy which are no longer in our control, clearly no longer in control of the public. Well, I... And so... Yeah, go ahead. Finish your thought there, because I have a response to that. Okay, and so uh, the new initiative that uh, we launched uh, with this op-ed that you mentioned in the Hill, and if people want to read that, they can go to our website, smartelections.us. There's a link right on the front page to mm-hmm. the op-ed, and at the end, and we, I, I, in the op-ed, I talk about some of the things that you and I are going to talk about, things I saw at DEF CON, mm-hmm. uh, solutions to these issues. But at the end, I talk about an initiative called Count the Vote, and what that is is. A, a nationwide initiative that we are launching to work with volunteers across the country to train them, give them toolkits, and set communities up, prepare them to monitor and count the vote and assess whether or not those election results are accurate. And actually, that is uh, sort of leads me to the to the response that I wanted to make here. You say we have no way in. I believe we do have a way in. I just believe we are going to have to fight our way in. Just to stick with North Carolina for a moment, because I got a statement here and I spoke with a couple of people who testified moments ago. Uh, Marilyn Marks, who's a frequent guest on this program, she's been fighting against those systems in Georgia. Our listeners will know her uh, very well. She's actually a North Carolina resident. So she was in North Carolina today, uh, one of the members of the public testifying against this system. Uh, She sent me a statement right after this vote saying, As a North Carolina voter, I am embarrassed by the level of ignorance shown by three of the five members of the board. The arguments they made wouldn't pass muster in fifth grade civics class. I also heard uh, just before air here uh, from Lynn Bernstein. She's on the ground there fighting this as well. Uh, She has a long time worked in the aviation field of uh, testing in that field. She uh, notes to me that uh, this Democratic chair who voted with the Republicans here could not cite, she said, a single reason for doing so other than He has confidence that it will all work out just fine. Well, one of the um, 
Uh, I believe her name, I have it here, St- uh, Dr. Stella Anderson. She was the one on the, uh, the member of the State Board of Elections who, uh, who, who proposed this motion to ban these unverifiable systems. She's a Democrat. The other two Democrats, I should know, voted to kill these systems. After the vote, she had this to say in response to the Democratic chair. I can have confidence. You can have confidence. At the end of the day, it's whether voters have confidence. They're going to be the judges of whether or not the decision that we make here today to put into place a voting system that will be adopted by county board members is something that they can have confidence in. And I believe we've heard pretty loud and clear they're not going to be largely confident in a barcode ballot. Uh, she's right on the money. And yet this is where so many states are and counties are moving, including right here in Los Angeles, my own home county, moving to these barcoded ballot systems that cannot be verified by the public. It is maddening. I know it feels like we have no way in, but Lulu, I'm arguing we have to fight our way in. And your initiative, I would suggest, is one way to do so. But before we get to that, let me you mentioned DEFCON. Let me get your thoughts on uh, DEFCON. You know, uh, they have the uh, every single year they do this uh, for the last few years, uh, this hacking convention called DEFCON. They have set up uh, what they call Voting Village and they get a whole bunch of voting machines and they unleash the uh, the white hat uh, local uh, whoever shows up to DEFCON, the hackers on them. And every single year they find problems in these systems. In 2017 at bradblog.com, the headline we had was every single voting system hacked within hours at DEFCON's voting village. Last year in 2018, the headline I ran, Chinese pop song found on U.S. voting system, 11-year-old hacks mock Florida Secretary of State website, and more news from DEFCON voting uh, village. So, uh, Lulu Freistat, you were at DEFCON this year, the 2019 version. What, uh, what fresh hell did we discover this year in Las Vegas? It just becomes more and more clear with each year, and this is the third year that they've had a, a voting village where mm-hmm. they have voting machines that are in use in the United States available there. And each year it becomes more clear that really every system is extremely vulnerable. There was not a single system there, uh, to my knowledge, that uh, that was not penetrated in some way or, or mm-hmm. they didn't find vulnerabilities of, with the possible exception of the DARPA system. That's the one that's being developed by the Defense Advanced uh, Research Project Agency. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the DARPA system was down for most of the weekend and hackers weren't able to access it. So... It, it wasn't really a fair task. It was they down? Really they, get it. they couldn't get it to work? Um, I, it's a little... I was there and I voted on it. So yeah. it w- what they have is basically... First off, they've only really been... They The project was launched, I think, about 18 months ago, but mm-hmm. they've only been actually working on it for about four months. Mm-hmm. I think the actual contract happened around... I'm going to say April. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was at the uh, EVN conference that they announced it. And so, I, I mean, they've done a tremendous amount in four months. They got a, they're, mm-hmm. they're working on the main focus of the DARPA project is the hardware. So it's, they're not, 
developing a new voting system, what they are doing is that they are developing hardware that they believe could be solid enough to actually protect against vulnerabilities that is in software that would be running on the hardware. Yeah. So they're kind of building a, a better uh, mm -hmm. defense, basically. Uh -huh. um, and then that's a prototype that will be open source in a number of different iterations, kind of small, medium, and large, uh, in very sort of non-technical terms. And uh, because it's open source, then uh, private entities, uh, counties, governments would be able to take that open source hardware and then create voting uh, all kinds of systems. They, they are using yeah. a voting system as a prototype, but they could develop any number of other things to run on this hardware. Nonetheless, uh, they it, couldn't get it to run on the weekend. They needed to run it at uh, at Voting Village. And right. set, setting so, my skepticism aside about that system, there were other systems <laughs> that, uh, including, by the way, the ESNS Express Poll system that they just approved in North Carolina, that you report was, in fact, also hacked this year. Is that correct? Okay, so both of the voter registration database systems completely vulnerable. They were, uh, I, I filmed hackers taking control of them in very short periods of time. On that, uh, I talked to a hacker who had access to that one and was able to control all of the information on it. And then with the other one, which was the VR Systems Voter Registration Database, which is also in use all over the country, especially mm -hmm. in Florida, and uh, was previously in North Carolina. Uh, I mean, they ran pink cat graphics across it. They, it had a completely open USB port, and they just pink, put a Did you say pink device cat? In it. Pink cat graphics ran across the screen? Yes, I have footage of it. it and was, I am going to yeah. do a shout-out here for my fundraiser. Uh -huh. If you can go to GoFundMe and search for Lulu Freistat, I do have a lot of footage, and uh -huh. I'm really trying to get funding so I can get that edited and distributed to media outlets. So mm -hmm. please do support my work. Mm -hmm. uh, and, yeah, I have footage of pink cat graphics running across our voter registration databases. And what does that mean? That means that a hacker could change your address so that you go and your address doesn't match, you know, the address that's in the system. So you couldn't vote or it could say that you had already voted or it could say that you are a member of a different political party so that, you know, you wouldn't be able to vote in the primary. And we've seen all of those things actually happen or many of those things happen mm -hmm. in reality that, that many in Durham, North Carolina in 2016, mm -hmm. we saw a system that said repeatedly that voters who were coming up to vote the system would say, oh, that voter already voted, and then they wouldn't let them vote. And then because they knew that the system was faulty, they, they took it down, they went to paper, they mm -hmm. weren't prepared, and there were, you know, four-hour-long lines. So we know that those voter registration databases being vulnerable is an extremely weak link in our system. And right now, there really has to be, there really has to undertake major efforts to make sure that any time those electronic poll books are being used, that there are paper backups of everybody's registration and that counties are prepared to switch to paper, really switch to paper, not just like in theory switch to paper. Do mm -hmm. they have all the forms there they need? Do they have, can they do things quickly enough to, you know, to process all the voters? Have they done testing, you know, to make sure they can do that? These are real vulnerabilities that can really literally just uh, incapacitate us. Uh, in 2020. Yeah, and, you know, I have been uh, trying to get the um, 
the Registrar Recorder County Clerk, Dean Logan, out here in Los Angeles, who is now moving this county, the largest voting jurisdiction in the nation, uh, larger, just this county, larger than most of the states in the union. He is moving to one of these electronic systems, a touchscreen uh, voting system, electronic poll books. I've been trying to get him on uh, the program. He used to come on the program. He has not uh, recently anymore. He just declined my offer once again today to uh, to come on to answer these questions about this system uh, here in Los Angeles. But we're seeing Los Angeles, North Carolina, Georgia, Philadelphia, New York, all moving to these systems before 2020, despite all of the warnings. And Lulu, you mentioned VR systems. That was the one that had the pink cats running across it because it was hacked. Well, VR systems is the one that was reportedly, uh, according to Robert Mueller uh, and the state of Florida, they're the company that was hacked uh, via, via a spear phishing attack before the 2016 election. And they're the ones who run that North Carolina system, you say, failed in 2016. It seems like the public are learning from all of these horrible experiences, but the election officials just don't seem to be getting it. Well, this is where I go back to what is essentially a coup. And and we see that in Congress also. We see where the incentives lie. The incentives are with the contributions. The incentives are with the special interests and with financial elites. And when you, you look at uh, that study that was done um, from Northwestern, I think in 2012, where it showed that there really is literally no correlation between public policy and public opinion. The correlation is with special interests. And that is the same with the voting equipment. The decisions about what voting equipment we're using uh, is being decided primarily by election officials influenced by vendors and by elected officials who are receiving these contributions. And that's why it is so important to get involved on a very local level. And, and that's what we're talking about doing uh, with the Smart Elections Count the Vote project is training mm-hmm. People who care uh, across the country, in county by county, especially targeting states where we know uh, this is really going to come down to the wires, being states, and giving people the toolkits that they need and the skills uh, that they and the, the skills and the information that they need. Everybody pretty much knows what type of phone they're using. You know if you're on an Android. You know what you know software, Mm -hmm. what operating system it is, you know what version of iPhone you're using. You can also learn what voting system you're using. It's just not that complicated. There's only two main vendors. It's ENSNS and Dominion, and there's two smaller vendors. And you can learn about the different models and which ones are more secure and which ones are less secure. And you can have conversations with your election officials to try to influence them to purchase secure voting equipment. And Mm -hmm. if they won't, then you have to try to influence them in other ways, you know, get other groups involved to start pressuring them. So there's a whole series of steps, and, and this is happening all over the country. This isn't just smart elections. Mm-hmm. There are so many groups around the country who are doing this type of work. You have people like um, Susan Pynchon mm-hmm. uh, at the Florida Fair Elections Coalition. You know all these people, John right. Brakey sure. with Audit USA, people who have been on the ground for years doing this work, and we want to just coordinate more with them, direct more volunteers to them, give people toolkits, teach them how to get in touch with each other, build websites, have a consistency to the approach so that there's definitely 
uh, steps that each group is trying to take. And when you get to that step, when you get hand-marked paper ballots, then you move to audits. Mm-hmm. When you get audits, then you move to monitoring, everybody taking pictures of poll tapes. And there's other really um, broad-based groups that are starting to jump into the election security space now that, that really have never been involved before or have, have only been involved for maybe like two years. Uh, so Secure Our Vote is uh, a group that's run under Public Citizen, and they have a day of action coming up on September 17th. I encourage everybody to get involved. So the big push there is to try to get $600 million in funding. It's already passed through the House, and they're trying to get it passed through the Senate. Uh, the deadline to get that money, which is appropriated specifically for election security, and the language is pretty good. Uh, it might not be perfect, but uh, we just put up a note on our website encouraging people to join this. So this is for um, to get this funding through the Senate. It was in the House as HR 3551, mm-hmm. and the language for this $600 million in funding says, a state shall use such payment to replace voting systems which use direct recording electronic voting machines, which we all know are are very vulnerable. The old touchscreens um, that they just found right? unconstitutional the, in Georgia. Yeah. Okay, so that's the touchscreens. Replace those with a voting system which uses an individual, durable, voter-verified paper ballot, and most importantly, what they have in the language here, which is marked by the voter by hand, Yes, which is great, and then they say, or through the use of a non-tabulating ballot marking device. And what's great about that is that a non-tabulating ballot marking device rules out things like the ES&S Express vote or the hybrids, which um, both are touchscreens and tabulators. And I have... So what that's saying yeah. is just... You can use a hand-marked paper ballot, or if, you, if you're if you a voter with a disability or you're uncomfortable, can't mark that ballot by hand, of course, you need an independent, private, and secure ballot-marking device. And that means something that is just, it's just a ballot-marking device. That's all it does. Yeah, I know. It prints out a ballot. I know, but it prints out a ballot okay. that can't be verified after an election. I do have concerns about that language, but something needs to move forward here. Yes? Yeah, it's pretty good language, Brad. It's pretty good. Okay. Maybe it's not perfect. Maybe everybody okay. doesn't have exactly what they want there. But that is pretty good language that makes sure that that many of the worst systems would not be able to be purchased with this funding. I want to point and folks to, towards your uh, to, towards your effort at smartelections.us, where folks can uh, can sign up, uh, presumably with you, and get some form of uh, marching instructions and uh, beginning Absolutely. to. Uh, train and organize because this really is as i've been saying now day after day frankly year after year at this point nobody's going to come in and save us the uh, don't wait for the election officials don't even wait for uh, certainly not for the u.s senate and mitch mcconnell to pass this bill this is up to us we the people and there are things that we can do there is a way in uh and beginning in no small part with a toolkit from Lulu Freistat's smartelections.us. So I'm going to point folks over there. I'm also going to point folks to your Twitter feed, which is at Lulu Freistat. And here's how you spell it. Just Lulu, the way you'd think. Fries, like you order at McDonald's, and D-A-T. Lulu Fries Dat. 
Uh, follow her there and use that same spelling to find her and support her work at GoFundMe.com so she can continue uh, getting the word out from uh, all over the country, from DEFCON, from all the places where these uh, these fights are happening. We need her and we need you. Lulu, I'm, I'm running really late. I got to get out, but I suspect we'll be talking again soon about all of this. Thank you for the uh, important work you've been doing now for so many years. Thank you, Brad. Thank you so much. It's always great speaking with you, and thanks for everything you're doing there. You, I, I'd love to say my pleasure, but you get the idea. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Lulu. I'll talk to you soon. Thank okay, you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, well, let's take a quick break, and we'll uh, cover whatever we have left to cover, or whatever time we have left in this crazy program today. I'm Brad Friedman. It's your Bradcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Oh, to love you. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. So if it, if it feels like the world is on fire right now, it's because it is. Uh, figuratively, of course, when it comes to our political situation and all the stuff we've been talking about on today's program, but also literally, as we mentioned on our latest Green News report, where, frankly, I think we, we uh, gave the, um, well, I think we gave short shrift to the uh, fires, really, uh, less coverage than they deserve, to these fires that are going on in the Arctic and specifically down in the rainforest in the Amazon. Uh, I think we gave them shorter shrift than, than they were worth, but that's, of course, because we only have six minutes on our Green right. Report. <laughs> that's but, kind of the nature of it. But uh, on that point, Desi Doan, you had, uh, first, a correction that you wanted to offer on your GNR coverage uh, regarding the Amazon. Usually we put our corrections up at the top of the show, which I had hoped to do, but today's news events did not make that possible. So, Desi, your correction. Uh, my correction. And your apology. <laughs> My correction is something that you've probably heard cited throughout the media when they're reporting on the fires on the, in the Amazon rainforest mm -hmm. in Brazil. If about, you can find any reporting on the Amazon <laughs> fires. There's quite there. a bit, but Good. they all, and I did this as well, uncritically quote the concept that the rainforest of the, in the Amazon provides or generates 20% of the oxygen in the atmosphere. Turns out that is not exactly true. Uh, Dr. Michael Mann, the uh, famous climatologist, climate scientist, he actually on Twitter said, hey, where does this number come from? And a lot of folks jumped in and said, we're not really sure, but it looks like in reality that the Amazon generates about 6% mm. of the planet's oxygen. Oh. That is still a significant amount. So why worry? Amount. It's only... <laughs> oh, no. That's still very significant, oh. but it is not, so it's not exactly this 20%. So just letting people know that. By one recent estimate, the uh, trees of the Amazon rainforest pulled in carbon dioxide equivalent to the fossil fuel emissions 
of most of the nine countries that own or border the forest between 1980 and 2010. So they do provide a carbon sink. Yes. uh, Big time and then produce oxygen in return. Uh, but not 20% of the world's oxygen, closer to six. Uh, Amazon deforestation has sped up now, as we noted, under the presidency of Jair Bolsonaro, the climate change denier who, like Donald Trump, pulled uh, his respective country, I guess, out of the Paris climate change uh, uh, climate agreement. Fires, however, in the region, in the Amazon, are up 77 percent from last year, and the dry season has just got started. As of last month, an area of the Amazon the size of Los Angeles had burned, according to the BBC. Now, if you don't live in Los Angeles, you have no idea how large uh, Los Angeles is. I always talk about what a huge county it is, the largest voting jurisdiction in the nation, larger than, you know, 35 states or whatever. But it takes me, just to give you an idea, when there is no traffic, to drive from where I live to the Registrar Recorder's uh, headquarters. Office, yes. yeah, in Norwalk. In, in Norwalk, in which is part of Los Angeles. It takes 40 minutes for me to get there. And I am not even at the farthest reaches of Los Angeles here. So it, this is a huge area we're talking about. That is burning in the Amazon rainforest right. this year alone. Yep. Uh, and But Bolsonaro, on the other hand, he doesn't care. Uh, he has suggested that the fires were being started by the NGOs. In the, other words, the, the non-governmental non-gov- organizations that are trying to conserve the rainforest. So obviously he was trying to pull a Donald Trump and projecting onto other people what he is actually the one that's uh, pushing this. So these are he's blaming the people who are trying to do something about climate change, who are exactly. concerned about the loss of the Amazon rainforest. He's blaming them. And in this quote, I mean, it sounds like it could easily have been a quote from Donald Trump. Uh, He says, it could be, it could, I'm not saying it is, a criminal action by these NGO people to call attention against me, against the Brazilian government. To make him look bad. That's what his uh, theory is. Mm Mm-hmm. Sure, I suspect that must be uh, the explanation. All right, we got to get out, and I need to take a break. Uh, Desi (laughs) Doyen, my thanks to uh, Desi, our producer, and to my guest today, Lulu Freistadt of smartelections.us, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us, uh, no matter how crazed we may uh, sound to you today. Uh, It's greatly appreciated to have you with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, I hope you will download it for free and share it with friends and families and enemies alike at bradblog.com. Those free downloads, of course, are made possible by those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves and do what we try to do every day right here on the Bradcast. You can also drop me email if you want. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Bradblog. And that is it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Oh, 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 oh,